Let's pray and we'll get into our message this morning. Would you pray this prayer? You don't have to say it out loud, just say in your heart, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, I pray that you would be glorified. Anyone hearing this message would be edified and that Satan would be horrified. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I remember what it was I was thinking of. I was just talking with uh, Heidi before the service and she let me know that she is Belle in the March musical for Oxford High School. She's Belle, but her brother is gonna be Chip, little Chip. In the Beauty and the Beast, right? It's going to be a great show. And I was just sitting there thinking, man, I think I might just buy out like one of the Saturday nights. There's two weekends and we're all going to go. Let's take the whole church. Wouldn't it be cool if we did a block? Okay, would you would you do that if I... All right, we'll talk about that. But I think that would be so cool if our church would just buy out a whole block and we just go together and enjoy that. Uh, wonderful. They do a wonderful job. That was what I was thinking of earlier. All right, let's talk about where we've been and what we've been doing with this, what God wants for Christmas. We know that God doesn't want religious stuff. In Micah 6, early on, he talks about, I I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want thousands of rivers of oil. I don't want tens of thousands of heads of animals. I'm not looking for sacrifice. I want something more meaningful than that, from the heart, something from you. I need you. That's what God wants. And then I've seen this so many times. So many people sent me this. I saw it on Facebook myself. This is not going to end well. I've been telling you, don't buy those vacuum cleaners. I was in Sam's Club on Friday, and I went down there. I'm telling you, there were five husbands in the vacuum section at Sam's. And I almost said, don't do it, guys. Don't do it. Unless that's what she wants, and she made it very clear, don't do it. But anyways, God doesn't want your mediocre sacrifice, temporary devotion. He wants something deeper than that. And it's very clear in Micah 6, 8. Let me read that passage for us. In Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So the first week we talked about what it means to do justice. That word is mishfat, mishfat. And we learned that it's the quality of being just. To be just is a call to action. Justice means living morally right, pursuing what is right for all people regardless of who they are. We as believers, what does God want? God wants us to do what's right always for all people. And that's what he wants, do justice. And then love mercy was last week. That word is hesed. Everybody say hesed. Got to learn those great words in scripture, hesed. And that is all of God's positive attributes. Love, mercy, grace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, benevolence, selfless, sacrificial, loyalty, faithfulness. All of the good qualities of God is God's hesed kind of love. He wants us to love that love and to show that kind of love. Love, love. Everybody say love, love. Love, love is literally what it means, but there's no one word in English that can define the word hesed. It's all of that. 
And remember, I told you, that is who you ought to be looking for. Young people, if you're dating, you better make sure you're looking for somebody like that. If somebody that you're dating or want to be around does not have these qualities, they have the opposite qualities, you don't you kick them to the curb and try again. Not a good idea. Uh, your best friend group, your core friendship group, you're looking for qualities like this in that group. And by the way, you need to be this kind of a person for somebody else to want to date or want to be a friend. It's how it works. And then it goes into all sorts of things. Like, who do you cheer for in the movies? I worry that we like some of these heroes in the movies that are just bad guys. And I understand that. Sometimes movies are just for mindless entertainment. But man, I remember the old Dirty Harry movies? You guys, remember Dirty Harry? We cheered on Dirty Harry with his big gun. And he went on vigilante justice, started killing bad guys. And yeah, they were bad guys, but he's killing them all. And we're like, woohoo! And I, you know, it didn't dawn on me till later. It's like, what are we cheering for? Sometimes we end up cheering for the wrong character. And this should be what we look for in our politicians, in our uh, leaders, uh, at work. We, this is the kind of thing that we should love. Love love. Be this way, act this way. And then it brings us to today, walk humbly. Walk humbly. As soon as I got to this message, started writing it, it just started coming in back of my mind. Those of you my age or older, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Don't do that. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best. Thank you. You needed to sing a little bit so I wasn't the only heathen in the room today. Yes, you remember that? What was it, Mac? I think it was Mac Joe, Mac Davis? There you go, Mac Davis, a country song. And that, it was a great song. And I, but as soon as I started thinking about that, that is kind of how we look at humility sometimes. We struggle with humility because honestly, we're our biggest fan. We know us, we're with us every day, and we love us, right? And so humility, you know, some of you need to walk out of here today and say, I'm going to be humble, more humble than anybody else. I'll be the best humble person in the room. Not really. The best of men are but men at best. That's what we need to put on our thoughts today. The best of men are but men at best. Humility, walking in humility. Again, all of these things that God requires, just two words, do justice, love love, walk humbly. But there's a lot in those two words each Sunday. Hopefully you've been learning that. Humbly is the word Sana. I looked it up. It's not a silent T, but if you want a silent T, you can. Sana. Everybody say it with me. Ready? Sana. And this Hebrew word, like the other ones, hesed, uh, and the other, other word, we had to really break it down. Here's the Hebrew word sana, and it means humble. <laughs> it's what it means. It can be defined in one English word. It simply means humble or modest. It's exactly as it reads. Not, not, nothing tricky here today. It implies walking wisely. Some of your translations might have a little note there. And if you look at the note uh, for the word humble, it might say wise or wisely. Uh, that denotes 
the fact that God, he implies that we walk with him humbly. That's how you walk wisely before a holy God. You better walk humbly. Wisdom understands when the finite walks with the infinite, humility is inferred. Whenever we as finite human beings are considering a relationship with an infinite God, we have to come before him humbly. Remember what is it, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Remember how he had to bow? Remember he come before the, and he had to bow because there was all these traps in there. But if you came with a head low, you would, anybody watch those movies? All right. All right. Wisdom understands that when a sinner walks with a thrice holy, we are thrown into the dust. Remember what thrice holy is? Remember that when the angels cried out, holy, 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 whenever it's in triplicate in scripture, it means it's a big deal. It's the ultimate of this one word. The one word here is holy. God is holy, holy, holy. And when we as sinners walk with that God, there's nothing we can do but to throw ourselves in the dust. We're going to find that in scripture over and over again, because to stand with or with near a holy God and walk with a holy God Duh, humility is going to be required. So I want to walk through a little bit of the Old Testament, New Testament teaching on sauna, starting in Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. You can meet me there or just listen as I read. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's an interesting passage as Isaiah gets to peek into the throne room. I love this passage because this Old Testament prophet gets to look behind the curtain. And he doesn't see, you know, the Wizard of Oz, like, you know, don't look at the man behind the curtain. No, when he opens the curtain, he sees God in all his glory seated on the throne. Number one, he's not worried. Isaiah doesn't see a God who's who's twiddling his fingers and saying, oh no, what are we gonna do? There's an election coming up in November and I won't be able to, you know. No, God's not worried. God's not pacing back and forth. When Isaiah got to peek into the throne room of heaven, he saw God high and lifted up, seated with confidence on his throne. But it's interesting when we look in the Old Testament, when anybody was in the presence of God, humility, humility is the key. What did Isaiah say when he peeked into the throne room and he saw a holy God? He didn't say, hey, God, how you doing, buddy? Hey, pal, let's go out for lunch. No, immediately Isaiah finds himself on the ground saying, whoa, whoa is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I hang out with a bunch of people with unclean lips. But now I've seen the holy God. When you're in the presence of a holy God, you, humility is not only inferred or implied, it's requested. It, it, is, it needs to be there. And Isaiah found himself crying out, Whoa! 
Then in Numbers 12 and verse 3, talking about Moses. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. I wonder why God chose Moses. Duh. I mean, right there tells us what we need to know about Moses. Moses was a humble man, more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. And so God came to Moses and said, Moses, I have this plan. And Moses is like, who am I? I, I can't do the, who, who am I going to say? He has all sorts of questions. I don't even like to speak, he says. And God's like, this is fine. I'm not, I'm not calling you because you're gifted and talented and an amazing leader. He called him because he was humble. Moses understood who Moses was and Moses understood who God was. That's what we see when we look at the leaders in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Humility. Then in 2 Samuel 7, 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? When David went into God's holy room to spend time with him, he also questioned who he was. You're talking King David, right? He's King David. He's one of the famous heroes of the scripture. But he questioned even his, his, himself. Who am I to sit before the Lord? Humility. Everybody say humility. Humble. I couldn't help but to think of another song. That's what I do. I pretty much sing my way through every day. I'm a living musical. You should just thank the Lord you don't live with me in my house. Everything's a song to me or it reminds me of a song. This one's special to me and I've sang it before here because it's an old Southern gospel classic and my dad who's probably watching one of his favorite songs. I first heard this, my dad singing it. I think it was the Florida Boys, but I know it was Goodman who wrote this song. It, it, he asked the same question. I don't know if he was reading this passage where David said, who am I? But the Southern Gospel classic, when I think of how he came so far from glory, came and dwelt among the lowly such as I, to suffer shame and such disgrace, on Mount Calvary took my place. Then I ask myself the question, who am I? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray, not my will but thine for? The answer I may never know. Why he ever loved me so That to an old rugged cross he'd go For who am I? Who am I? We ought to ask ourselves that question. Who am I? That God would send his only son. The reason for this incarnation, the reason that God had Jesus leave the heavenly throne room and be born in a humble manger in Bethlehem is the answer to that question, who am I? I am loved, but I'm not perfect. That's where humility comes into play. Everything I've talked about in this series so far, do justice, love mercy, or love love. You realize that anybody could work on those things, even unsaved people. 
There are unsaved people that want justice. There are unsaved people that want, want things to be done right, right? They're, they're, they're very moral, unsaved people. And there's also very merciful, loving people that are not saved. Here's the danger in this whole series so far. I'm all serious. Make sure you're paying attention to this. If you're approaching this sermon to just kind of work on these things, anybody could work on the first two. Do justice, love mercy. But it's the third point that brings it all together. Unsaved people are not walking humbly before God. People that are lost without salvation aren't walking humbly before their God. God requires of us to do justice, love mercy, but that is part of walking humbly. That's part of walking humbly with our God. For us as saved people, we need to be doing justice and loving mercy while we're walking humbly before our God. It's part of our walk. It's part of our walk. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I love that quote. I've heard that quote many times. I looked it up to make sure it was C.S. Lewis, and I found five different people it was attributed to. So I'm not sure, but I chose C.S. Lewis said it. He probably did say it once, okay? Uh, other people have said it. I saw Rick Warren was, and I'm like, eh, if C.S. Lewis said it, he said it way before Rick Warren. So this is a famous quote, whether C.S. Lewis said it or not. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. When I talk about walking humbly, I'm not talking about having a bad self-esteem. People get that wrong. And they think, oh, Christianity teaches a a low self-esteem. No, it's not about thinking less of yourself, it's about thinking of yourself less. It's about where do you put yourself? And when you're going to put yourself on the scales, and you and God are on the scales, you just need to know that you're weightless. (laughs) You don't measure up. Remember the Bible at a different point we talked about this. I found myself wanting. I found myself on the scales and I've found myself wanting. We don't measure up to God. And so we need to understand where we're at in that whole thing. Who am I? You're loved because God loves you, but you didn't deserve it or earn it. You're not being so just and so loveful that God accepts you. No, you are who you are, a sinner saved by grace, and that means you're loved by God. In the New Testament, there's a lot of uh, more talk about sauna, and, and one of them is in Philippians 2. You'd, you've heard this many times. In Philippians 2, 3 through 8, says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." In Philippians, in the New Testament, we have a new example, and it's God himself. He sent Jesus. And how did Jesus handle this? He humbled himself. The the prince of heaven humbled himself to come, be born as a baby in a meager situation, 
and then to go to a cross and die even though he was innocent, he died for our sins. That is humility. And the Bible tells us that's the example that we're living up to. That's the sana, sana that we need to be living up to is this humility that Christ showed. And then while Christ was here, he actually gave us an example in Mark 10, all these wily disciples, right? Let me read about them. Mark 10, 35 through 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. All right, so right there, it's a problem. All right. Uh, that's not showing up in a humble estate. That's not showing up. That's, that's me saying, hey, listen, I need you to do something for me. I'm important and I need to be lifted up here. That's James and John, the sons of thunder, right? They spoke their mind and they came to Jesus. I don't know if they came to him privately, but, but they, they told him, we want you to do whatever we ask. I think that's great that Jesus knows what's up. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptized I am baptized with? Now right here would have been a great place for James and John to go, you're right, sorry, what were we thinking we shouldn't have asked for so much. I mean, they literally wanted to be right and left throne in heaven, right? I'm thankful they didn't ask for his throne. I mean, they probably knew that, well, you know, if he's the one to give them out, at least let's be on the right and on the left. Let's be up as high as we can be. And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup I'm going to drink? You know what he's referring to, right? Do you remember what, in the garden? Before he was crucified, Jesus said, God, if there's any other way, may this cup pass for... What is the cup? The cup is God's wrath. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for you and for me so that we never have to drink of his wrath. But instead of saying, no, I'm sorry, we were overstepping, they come back. We can. <laughs> wow. The opposite of humility is arrogance. Man, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptized I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Can you imagine the scene? The 12 disciples, when they heard about, I don't know who told, I don't, did Jesus tell? I don't know. Did James and John say, oh man, we just had this conversation with Jesus? I don't know how they heard, but they were indignant. Why? Because they didn't think of it first. They're upset. How dare they? They should know that that's my seat. They should know that that's where I'm going to be sitting. How dare they take my place? I don't know exactly what was in the mind of the disciples. But they became indignant with James and with John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10 goes beautifully with Philippians 2. Mark 10 is Jesus explaining that he did not come 
to lord over people. He came to serve humbly as a servant. And he's telling his disciples, guys, you're getting it wrong. I mean, really, the point is you shouldn't be trying to be great. But those who want to be great, the only way they can achieve that needs to be through servanthood. Humility. Everybody say humble. Humble. The question is, do you want to play a starring role in the small story of you, or are you willing to take a small role in the huge story of God? That's one way you can think about it and phrase it. Do you want to play a a starring role in the itty bitty tiny story of you? Or are you willing to take a small role in the great big story of God? Many, many, many people on this earth have lived to play the starring role in their story. And we have story after story of story of disappointed people that found regret. (laughs) Because starring in that role of the story of you, it's going to lead you to a spiral downward. But if you step back in humility and realize I can have a role in the great big story of God, that has meaning. I would rather have that small role in the story of God than the starring role of Don any day. Here's another quote. Ellen G. White says, A Christian reveals true humility by showing the gentleness of Christ, by always being ready to help others, by speaking kind words and performing unselfish acts, which elevate and ennoble the most sacred message that has come to our world. I love putting quotes up there. Um, what she means is, <laughs> what she means is, if we're going to share the gospel, it's best done in the role of a servant. It's best done in somebody who loves other people and serves other people. Then the message of the gospel can be clear and received clearly. We as believers have this. That's what we need to be focused on. Let's bring it home. What does walking humbly mean? So let's bring it to what do we leave here with today? What does walking humbly mean for me and for you? It means consistent communion with God. Let's carefully walk through the phrase. Walk humbly with your God. It implies consistent communion with God. If you're walking in life with God, that means some kind of a connection. You need to stay in communion with God. Humbly keep that relationship. Humbly keep that relationship. John 3 and verse 30. He must become greater, I must become less. This is John the Baptist. Remember what John the Baptist was saying? There's lots of things out there, lots of artwork. He must increase, I must decrease. I thought that was a good one. There's lots of different symbols for that. To remind us as Christians that we should be in consistent communion with God in a humble fashion. The second thing, it means constant activity. Everybody say the word walk. Okay, stay still and walk at the same time. I dare you. (laughs) You can't. This verse implies a constant activity. Walking humbly means you need to be doing this all the time. Walk humbly with God. Stay in communion with God, be in constant activity in a relationship with God, and then, oh, I forgot about the Mary and Martha thing. Uh, 
The best example of this in scripture is Mary and Martha. You know the story. Remember when Mary was at the feet of Jesus and, and she's having a great time, but Martha's in the kitchen trying to prepare them. You know, she was the queen bee. She was the housekeeper. I mean, she was doing all the hard work. And remember, she got frustrated. Remember, Martha came to Jesus. Jesus, tell my lazy sister to get in here and do some work. And, and Jesus kind of tells Martha, you know, from the old Brady Bunch show, Martha, Martha, Martha. Jesus had to tell her, Martha, come on. I mean, I, I love that you're a servant, but you're missing out on something that's special. Mary just wants to be at my feet. So really what we get from this is there's nothing wrong with Martha's work, 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 serve, 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 but she was missing the Mary part. That's why I want you guys to consider being Martha Marys, or if you'd rather, Mary Marthas. But we need both of those. If Martha's heart could have been where Mary's body was, we would have had the perfect mix. Do you hear that? If Martha's heart for serving the Lord, do, 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 busy, 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 busy. But where Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, we'd had the perfect, perfect connection. So in your activity, don't just think about doing, doing, doing. Make sure you're in communion with God. That's how you walk humbly with him. Serving him, but also in communion with him. And then there's continual progress. That's another thing I had to, man, I remember in science class, I remember the teacher drove me nuts. He says, with every action, there's a reaction or something like that. And so, I mean, I remember him standing in front of us saying, when I push off, the ground's going that way. And I thought, no, it's not. That ground stayed still. I don't know the science behind it, but I do know that when you walk, you're moving someplace. I thought about this because I know some of you are contrarians and you're like, I don't know, I've climbed that sand. Anybody climbed the sand dune, sleeping bear sand dune? You're like, I've walked, but I keep going backwards. Every step forward is a step back. Oh, get over it. We're talking about just walking. Don't worry about sand, okay? When you're walking, you're making progress, okay? Walking implies progress. My question for you is, where are you at in your walk with God? Are you walking humbly with God? And are you getting somewhere? Are you somewhere different than you were five years ago in your Christianity? Are you somewhere different than when you first met the Lord and prayed for him to forgive you of your sins? Are you moving forward? That's what walking implies, not walking backwards, but getting somewhere. Again, my family, they hate this. We argue about this every time we have a meal. I don't know why it comes up. But I always tell them, uh, Doug, stand right there. Would you just stand right there? I tell them, it's, if you're walking and you walk halfway to somewhere, I'll walk halfway to Doug. And then you walk halfway, and then you walk halfway, and then you walk halfway. And if you only go halfway there, you'll never get there. Are you with me? Do you agree with that? Thanks, Doug. You can sit down. Tell my wife she's wrong. It drives them nuts because they're like, yeah, eventually you'll get there. Not if you only go halfway there. Because if you go all the way there, you went all the way, not halfway. Only go halfway. And then we get into the atoms and molecules. Well, eventually it's going to be so tight that they tight. No, because then you want all the way, only go halfway. Why am I saying all this? I just want you to understand that when the Bible says walk with God, it implies getting somewhere. You might never get to the final destination, but you should be heading that direction. 
We're never going to reach perfection because if you do, you would immediately stop being humble. Amen. I've never found somebody who truly walks with God that thinks that they've arrived. The people that I know that are closest with God are the most humble people you'd ever meet. But it implies progress. Don't think of progress as something that you achieve like yay for me because then you've already lost the battle with humility. But it ought to be a continual progress. Walking. Everybody say walk. And we can do so with ceaseless confidence. How can we walk with a holy God? Remember Isaiah? Isaiah is saying, woe is me. I'm a man with unclean lips. David is saying, who am I? I mean, we got all these examples in scripture of people, but how can we walk with a holy God and not be afraid of being incinerated? Because he loves you. And you can walk with our God with confidence. Song of Solomon, don't usually get to quote from there. Song of Solomon 6 verse 3. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. There's an implication in the Song of Solomon about a relationship with God that's precious. And you can have that kind of relationship where you're walking with the holy of holies, the holy, holy, holy God, and have confidence because he loves you. Walk, walk, go, advance, grow. Walk, go, advance, grow. When God says in Micah 6, 8 to us, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Do justice, love mercy, while walking humbly with your God. That means walk, go, advance, grow. What does God want from you? Move forward. Some of you have stopped. Some of you have stymied your growth. Some of you have, uh, some of you have become uh, what atrophy. Remember what atrophy is in your muscles, you know. And you got to. Some of you need some spiritual exercise. Some of you have gotten out of shape and stagnant. Maybe it's because we stopped walking. <laughs> walking isn't stagnant. Walking means movement. Walking means progress. And you can do that with God with confidence because he loves you. So how do we do this? How can I humbly walk? Humbly walk in your ambitions. Some of you have great ambitions in life and there's nothing wrong with that. Just walk humbly on the ladder to success. If you're trying to achieve and my uh, overachievers in this room, go for it. Go for it. Love you overachievers. Just try to achieve everything you can, but do so humbly. Knowing that no matter how high you get, you're still under God, amen? No matter how far you get with success in this world, you're still, woe is me, who am I before a holy God? Walk humbly in your ambitions, walk humbly in your study. Don't get to the point where you are so arrogant in the word that you think you're the only one right. Approach God's word with trembling and fear. And the other side of this is, Walk humbly in your study of God's word. If God says it, then he meant it. One of the most arrogant things I see in today's culture are Christians who are leading the charge and saying, you know what? I know the Bible says this, but I, I'm telling you, there's no more scary words in all the English language than those two, but I, I know God said, but I think. 
That's dangerous. And that is a lack of humility. It's been going on for a long time. Some of our founding fathers in America were known to be biblicist, a deist at least, but they would uh, pick and choose what parts of the Bible they thought were real. Many of them took out anything that had to do with divinity. They cut out the parts of the scripture like Christmas. They would say, no, Jesus wasn't born miraculously of a virgin. No, that didn't happen. That's just kind of crazy thought. And so they come up with a different, that's not walking humbly. That's us telling God who he is. And that's not walking humbly. Walk humbly in your study of God's word. Walk humbly in your great successes. If you do succeed, walk humbly before God. At the same time, walk humbly in your great trials. When you go through hardships, a lot of the times we're, we're so woe is me that we, we feel poorly for ourselves that we start blaming God instead of understanding that God is. He never changes. He's consistent. So walk humbly in your successes and your trials. Walk humbly in your relationships with one another as believers. That's how the world will know. The Bible actually does say they will know we are Christians by our love. And that's a great example of witnessing. The gospel goes out and is seen first by people when they see people in the church. We must walk humbly with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't always have to agree with them, but we can love them. Walk humbly in those relationships. Not just our relationships in the church, but also our relationships with the lost world. Walk humbly in your gospel witness. I won't talk about the Crusades. <laughs> That's just a bad witnessing model. Get saved or I'll kill you. I mean, that, that's not good. Not very humble. How are you witnessing? Are you finding yourself online, arguing with people, trying to convince them with your intelligence? Not very humble. Are, are you meeting with people and telling them they're, 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 they're lost heathens on their way to, to burn an eternity in hell? I mean, uh, I see people on the streets. Remember, remember my story in Nashville a couple years ago? When I was walking with my daughter to get coffee early in the morning and this preacher was on the street with his microphone yelling at people, telling people as they were walking, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Then he made a comment to my daughter. And I'm like, he has no idea. He has no idea who she is. I about, about lost my salvation right there and then. I'm telling you, I'm thankful I believe in eternal security because I don't even think I could lose my salvation. But man, oh. Is that how we're supposed to win the world to Jesus? Again, I, I stand before you and I tell you, God tells us in Scripture the best way to win the world is with something that God calls love. And he would prefer his definition of love, Hesed love, over some kind of a feely, mushy kind of definition of love. Humbly walk in, in your gospel witness. Yeah, we need to tell people about the gospel. And of course, you're going to face... Uh, you know, people are going to be upset by that. The Bible says that they think it's foolishness. It's utter foolishness to them. And so before they believe, before they come to know the gospel, they're going to think this is crazy stuff. Don't be offended by that. Don't be angry by that. Don't retaliate about that. Understand that that's who they are at this point. See them as pre-Christians and lovingly keep sharing the gospel. We need to walk humbly with our ambitions, our, our study of God's word, our successes and our trials, our relationships with Christians, our relationships with lost people. If you're doing that, 
I'm telling you, that's what God wants for Christmas. Walk humbly with your God while doing justice and loving mercy. Tracy, why don't you come and sing that as a closing song? I love that song. Behold, they're going to sing that for us again today as we leave. I'm going to close this in prayer. And I want to encourage you to come back next Sunday for the Christmas. We tie it all together with what God wants for Christmas. That's what our stage drama is going to be, what God wants for Christmas. And I'm going to reveal for you what's in that box. Some of you thought they got me another Harley for my Christmas bonus. They didn't. No, they didn't. This is all part of our show for next Sunday where we're going to open that seventh box in the set and we're going to show you what God wants for Christmas. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would uh, bless us today as we try to live out Micah 6, 8. God, I'm thankful that the, the, the word tells us clearly what you want from us, how we can be in a relationship with you. Father, we know that first and foremost that comes through salvation when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We ask you to forgive our sins and come into our life as Savior and Lord. But then, Father, we walk. We walk in this world. Father, sometimes we're walking and we're so mired in the dirt and the junk of this world that it feels like it's all over us. And But God, you want us to walk differently here. Help us to do justice. Love mercy while walking humbly with you. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen.